0: Friends, I want to open up in John chapter 9 and we're going to look at this man, this blind man who was healed. But I want you to go back to John chapter 8. Just open up in John chapter 8 as we're going to look at verse 12. John chapter 8 verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Jesus said these words at this Feast of Booths. And I think it's so befitting that right after He says these things, we have this miracle of the blind man. Don't you think it fits beautifully together? And we're going to look at this now. Blindness is one of those things which is really unfortunate. You get two kinds of blindnesses. One is you become blind. As age goes on or you have an accident and somebody becomes blind... But then you have somebody who are born blind. And it's so unfortunate. And when you look at these people, I think if you lose sight, your sight is one of the worst things that can happen to you. Somebody said to me once that they will lose anything else in their body except their sight. Because think for yourself, if you lose your sight today, I mean, you lose a lot of things. And this is what happened to this poor man. I was... uh, hearing about a story of an accident in a mine, and there were some miners trapped under the earth. There was a great explosion. And for days they drilled trying to get into these men. And the first thing, once they've opened up a hole to get through to these people, the first thing they did is they sent down light to them, a cable with light to them, a bulb. For the first time in many days, these people turned on the light, But after a short time, there was a young man amongst them. And he was sitting there and he said, when is somebody going to turn on the light? And the other men looked at him and they knew that the explosion made him blind. Because the light was already on. But he couldn't see the light. You see, this is the problem that we have these days with a lot of people. And I'm talking spiritually now where the light, as Jesus said, He says, I am the light of the world. But there are so many people who, like that young boy is saying, turn on the light. But the light is already on. Jesus came to this earth. He walked on this earth amongst us. And He shone His light into this world. Yet so many people can't see that light. They are blind. They are crying out this morning. They say, can somebody turn on the light? And you and I as a child of God, where the light has been turned on, and I'm talking spiritually now, they come to you and me and they say, I can't see what you see. Have you had that before? And that is the reason. Is the light is coming to this world, yet there are so many people who are blind. Now, I don't know the number today, the physical number of physical blindness in this world, but let's say it is less than 20% of the population of the world. That's physical blindness, which is a terrible thing. I want to suggest this morning that if we flip the charts and we talk about a spiritual blindness, that the blindness in this world is not 20%. I reckon it's more than 80% of people in this world are spiritually blind. So I want us to look at the story here, or this passage here, this miracle where Jesus encounters a physically blind man. But I want you to listen to the message because through this whole one, He's going to talk about spiritual blindness as well. So let's continue in this and we see what Jesus did. John chapter 9, verse 1. He says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I want you to notice one thing here, that Jesus saw the man. You see that? We so often walk through life, and there are these people who are blind, beggars, who's lost a lot of things. But we are so focused on our own things, that we often miss these people. Here we find Jesus saw the man. It's not his disciples who came to him and said, Jesus, have you noticed the man? It's not the Pharisees, because they were so concentrated on their own religious things. It is not the world standing around who says, have you noticed the blind man? No, Jesus saw the man. And that comforts me this morning, to know that Jesus sees the needs of the world. He knows about it. And his disciples ask him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that's a good question, isn't it? You see, in the days of the Jews, in the early days, there were a few reasons why they would have asked this question. And I believe some of these reasons are still here today. People look upon other people who are struggling, who might be blind, who might not be as fortunate as you, and they say, oh, they've committed a big sin. Back in the day, the Jews in their time would have believed that in his pre-existent soul, this man might have, he might have sinned. They believed there's a pre-existent soul before you are born. And in that other world, this man sinned. And that's why he was born blind. Now, you and I don't know it's not true, do you? But yet there's people today who believe that still. There's also a belief in their day that a kind of reincarnation happened. That this person has lived before, he sinned, he died, and now he's reincarnated as a different person. This is what the Jews believed back in the day, for some of them. That's why these questions are asked. And then there's also others who believe that a baby might have sinned in the womb of the mother. How ridiculous is that? That that poor baby in the the womb has committed a sin. What kind of sin can he commit? And then there was the other one who reckoned that he was punished for a sin that he was going to commit later on. And I thank God that that is not true. If that was true and God punished people for a sin that they were going to do when they were 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, the whole world would have been blind, physically blind. So that's not true yet there's so many people who believe in that but then there is also the bible who talks about this the scriptures and these jewish boy i would have suggested had this in their mind when they asked the question to our lord and our savior in exodus chapter 20 verse 4 we read the following he says you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above All that is on the earth beneath, all that is in the water under the earth. So in other words, don't make these carved images and worship them as gods. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, have you ever heard the people who says that you are cursed into your third and fourth generation? Generational sins. And there's big teaching going out in the world about this. And they will get you in, although you are saved, they say, no, 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 we need to go back to your generations, and your previous generations, and so on, because there's a sin that your great, 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 great grandfather did, and that is now cursing right through. I want to suggest to you that I don't believe that. And it's not only a suggestion that I don't believe that. I'm going to show you the scripture verses that that's not true. If somebody comes to you and say, like, the the reason why you're struggling like this is maybe because your great-grandmother did something wrong. It's not true. But they will state this verse. They will say, let's go to Exodus and let's read this. And it's true that, that God did say this. Before I go on and I show you the Scripture verse, I also do want to say... That if you as parents, and I said it yesterday at Andre's dedication, that your children will follow your example. That's why you see sometimes where dad is in jail, dad is doing really bad stuff, it's against the government, breaking laws, you will find that his son is also in jail, breaking laws and everything. It's not to say that the son of the father is now cursing the boy. No, no, that is by example and what the parents teach the children. It's got nothing to do with generational curses. Yet, the sin and the guilty of sin and the judgment of sin will go over to the next generation. Why? Because they see what mom and dad do and they do likewise. But if one boy in that family breaks out and says, I want to serve God, do you honestly want to tell me that God is going to punish that child who comes to the light? No, he will not. And we've got the example of the scripture verses, therefore. This is why I say, Mom and Dad, you are the example to your children. What you do is what they're going to do. How you serve God is how they will serve God. How you pray is how they will pray. If they see you break the law, they will break the law in a similar fashion. What you do can have an influence on your children, but this is not a curse coming from God. It's to your own hands what you do with your children and what you do with one another. So we read the Scripture verse and we say, well, there you've got it. He says that He's going to punish you into the third and the fourth generation. But I want to suggest to you, that is the example in the hardened hearts of the parents, that the children also become hardened in their hearts, just like the parents. So now we find in Ezekiel, the prophet prophesies here, and let's see now. He says, If, however he begets a son... Now this is talking about sin coming through and the parents doing the wrong thing against God. But he says now, if he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise. What happens to this man? What happens to this boy? You see, the father did the sin. He walked away from God. He became hardened in his heart. But what about the son? who looks at the sin and he do not do those. He answers it further in verse 19, Ezekiel 18:19. He says, Yet you say, Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? You see, this is what we say. We are saying the child should bear the guilt of the father, but God's not saying that. Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them, He shall surely live. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. You've got it. Look, friend, there is no excuse for you to stand before God one day and say, I have sinned because I was influenced by my parents. I have sinned because I was influenced by my nephews and nieces or my family. Oh, Lord, you didn't see where I was brought up in. Oh, Lord, you don't know my family. Oh, yes, he does. But here he says, the soul who sin shall die. And then he talks about a soul that's a physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? When Eve ate, Adam looked at her. Now God said, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Is that what he said? Yes, he said that. Now look at the coward of Adam. Here comes Eve. And she eats, and what does he do? He look at her and she didn't die, did she? Did she fall down and die? No. He couldn't see in the spiritual. And because he just didn't drop dead, what happened? He took and he ate. He was disobedient to God. But what happened in the spiritual world? Spiritually, they died. That soul. Listen, dear friend, if you die without God, it is done. And here is the scripture verse for that. He says the soul. ...whose sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sin, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die." None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which has done, he shall live. Oh, how wonderful it is to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. You know what that scripture verse says? He says the sin that you've done, when you come to the cross and you confess to the Lord, what happens? He says he remembers them no more. How wonderful is, you know, I asked the question, how is it that people don't want to come to Christ? How is it that they want to stay in the dark, not follow the marvelous light? And here we find that He gives them the option and He says, the soul who sinned shall die. Now, these disciples came to Jesus and they asked Him the question, who sinned, this man or his parents that is blind? Who? They were so focused on the theological answer that Jesus is going to give him. But I love it when Jesus answered them back. He says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Neither them. But that the works of God should be revealed. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Why did Jesus say that? It's because He was still with them and He knew that they were going to kill Him. He knew that His light was going to be put out on this world. This is why later on in John, and we're going to get there, He turns to His disciples and He says to him, I've prayed the Father and He'll send you another comforter, another helper. You cannot put the light of Christ out. Over the ages, so many people tried, but you cannot do that. The light is still here today, dear friends. He says, where two or three gathers in His name, there He is present. The Holy Spirit is still on this earth. The light is still here. But in that day, Jesus said, I must do the works of Him who sent me. Now, what was those works? What was the works that He was sent for? Open up in your Bible. I'll show you in Luke chapter 4. Let's see if Jesus is doing the works. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. Luke chapter 4 verse 16. Remember Jesus here, He's looking at this blind man. Blind man. And they asked the question, Who sent? Him or His parents? And He says, Neither but that the works of God be done. Now look at this now, Luke chapter 4 verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now I just want to make a note here for you. That when the book of Isaiah was handed to him, it's not as if he opened up in Isaiah chapter 61 by just flicking through and say chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. There were no chapter divisions in his day. When they handed over the scroll or the book of Isaiah, it was like a scroll. So, why do I say this? Because he purposely sits right through that scroll until he came to this place you see it wasn't by chance that he went any mini mini mo and then he found that's the scripture verse i'm going to use now no no he was directed by the holy spirit to read the following now listen to this now in verse 18 so he found the place where it was written the spirit of the lord is upon me Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Did He do that? Yes. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Did He do that? Yes. (laughs) To proclaim liberty to the captives. And now, look at this. And recovery of sight to the blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So now Jesus walks in the crowd with His disciples, and the first verse of chapter 9 says that He saw the blind man. And all He's doing is doing what the Father tells Him to do. He's doing the work of the Father. He goes to the blind to heal the blind. Friend, God has put you and me on this earth with a purpose to do His work. Are you doing it? Are you doing His work? Or are you caught up in the crowd? So let's continue. Verse 6. When He had said these things, He spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And He said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I find this very interesting, the way that Jesus did this. Don't you? You see, there were other blind people that he healed. To some of them, he just commanded them to go and see, and they saw. In Mark, there's an account of a blind man which he halfway healed, and then he healed him completely. He asked this blind man when he touched him, he says, what do you see? He says, I saw trees walking. And then he healed him completely. On the others he just spat on them. And on this particular man, he made out of clay, saliva and clay, he made some kind of a dough and he puts it on his eye. Why would Jesus do this? You see, friends, there are some people in our world who say that Jesus Christ is in a box. This is how he works. He doesn't work according to you and my confirmations. He works in his own way. And I find that absolutely fascinating. Let no one comes to you and say, look, this is how God worked with me. He will work in exactly the same way with you. It doesn't work that way. Look, even the world doesn't work in that way. If you ask somebody how something works with the council, they say, all you need to do is step one, two, and three. Guess what? You come to the council, to the counter, and they say, oh, there's a fourth step in here. Oh, but wait a minute. My mate said to my friend, say there's only three. No, no, but there's four or four. Nothing is the same with Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that's the same, and that's the cross, and that's how you get saved. But he works in different ways. It's so wonderful. You can't put him in a box. Now, there might be two reasons why he used the clay. One is that it referred back to Genesis when he made man out of clay, and this is the same way. He used the clay to do that. This is not scriptural. It's just reasons why did he use the clay? Or secondly, it's because clay can become irritating on the eye and he had to go and do that. What fascinates me out of that passage is that he sent him to the pool of Siloam. And remember, this man is still blind. It's not as if he just stands up and goes, yeah, I know exactly where to go. No, experience this man's feeling inside of him. He met Jesus. He spat on the ground. He put some clay on his eyes. And now he tells him, he says, go to the pool of Siloam, which was hard to find. It's not just to stand up and walk and get there. But he expects this man to go to that pool and to wash. That pool's name means sent. And he sent this man to send. You get it? To go and wash his eyes in that pool. So, we have continue on. I've got much to cover. In verse 8, we see the neighbor's reaction now. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. He said, I am he. Now, all of a sudden, there's this focus on this man. You know what that tells me? That tells me that that poor man, and it says in verse 9, he was begging, was sitting there begging, and I reckon these people walk past and just give him a glance. Just a quick glance to throw something at him and walk on. And then sometimes even ignores him totally flat. Just walks on. Didn't have a quite a proper look at this man. He was sitting there from day to day. Now this man is up, and now what happens? They go, Is it him? Some said, yes, it's him. Others said, no, because his spot is empty there now. And now he comes to them and he says, it is I, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how, H-O-W, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus. I want you to underline that word in your Bible if it's yours. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Isn't it tragic that sometimes people don't know where he is? We can't hold it against this man because he was blind. Remember, he couldn't recognize the face of Jesus. Jesus could have stood next to him. He wouldn't have recognized him. But the thing here is, friends, they asked the wrong question. They said, how were your eyes opened? And in the passage you're going to find four times the same question asked. You know what they should have asked? They should have just changed the words around. They should have asked, who opened up your eyes? That's the question, the right question. But here they ask him how, and he said it was, A man called Jesus. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now we're going to see their reaction. And by the way, it was, they had to bring him to the Pharisees. That was part of the law of the day. If there was a healing taking place, they had to go to the Pharisees and they took him there. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And therein for them lies the problem. It was a Sabbath and open his eyes then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight he said to them and listen to this he put clay on my eyes and I washed, and I see that's his testimony how wonderful is it to have that testimony some people have testimonies and listen you sit for two hours and listen to the testimony before they come to Christ Oh, I've done all of these things and all of that, and you listen to them and they are gloating through the the testimony. I was so great, and I was and I was and I was, and then the last two minutes they go, and then I come to the cross and I was saved. No, no. This man goes straight and it's short and sweet. He says, He put clay on my eyes, I was and I see. But the problem for the Pharisees was, and that's why they keep on asking this question, they wanted to get rid of the evidence. They wanted the crowd not to see that he opened the eyes of someone born blind. It was okay if he healed somebody who became blind by an accident, but not somebody born blind. And you know what what the story is here? Because he took saliva and he made clay dough, that is seen as working according to their laws. And they didn't want to have that. So in verse 16, he says, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division amongst them. You see, they had a problem now. This was a miracle man born blind made to see. And now there is a division amongst them. How did he do this? And that's a problem for them verse 17 they said to the blind man again what do you say about him because he opened your eyes he said he's a prophet why would he say that he didn't know jesus that well he's a prophet why because he put clay on his eyes and he said go wash so he didn't see in a way there was a prophecy that if you're going to wash your eyes in that pool that you're going to be able to see and that happened And then he proclaims him to be a prophet. And for them it's a bigger problem, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents to him who had received his sight. I want you to underline the words, he is a prophet there in your Bible as well. Because there is a progress happening here. The previous verse, when they said this man is not from God, you can underline that as well. Because he proclaimed he was from God. That's why they answered that back to him. Verse 19, and they asked them, saying, "Is this your son?" Now the parents is standing in front of them, who was born blind. How then does he, he now see? How? You see, it's this how? Not who? How? His parents answered them and said, "We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were fearing the Jews. For the Jews had agreed that already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. You see, this is what the fear of religion does. They were so afraid to acknowledge this miracle in front of the Pharisees. And I want you to look at the answer. You see, the answers that he gave back is trying to put the the focus on this man, not on themselves. Because they were fearing to be excommunicated. There were three types of excommunication for them, or three stages. The first stage was for 30 days. And listen, in those days, in the Western world, it's okay for us. Because people are excommunicated out of one church, what do they do? They go to another church. But in their day, if you were excommunicated out of the synagogue, that meant that even your family members don't talk to you. The people, nobody talk to you. You're out as if you had leprosy. Put aside. So the first one would be, for 30 days, they will excommunicate you. They will bring you back and say, have you changed? And if that's not happened, they will excommunicate for another 30 days. If they bring you back and nothing has happened, then it comes to sherem or a ban. It's an indefinite duration, and you're put out. And that fear grabbed the parents. Look at verse 20. They said in verse 20, His parents said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. That's an honest answer, isn't it? It's our son. And then they become evasive. Look at verse 21. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Don't you think that he would have told them already it was a man called Jesus? But they weren't going to say that. And then they do what a lot of people do. They pass the buck. Look at verse 21. They say, look, this boy is old enough. You go and ask him yourself. And that's what they did. So in verse 24, we see that they bring this boy back. And they said again and called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Now, why did they do that? That there is a form of putting him under oath. The first time when he came in, they just questioned him. But now they put him under oath. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at uh, Joshua chapter 7 verse 19. He says, now Joshua said to Asian, My son, I beg you, give glory to God of Israel. That means like somebody goes in court and they put their hand on the Bible and they say, I swear, or uh, nothing but the truth. And this is what they did now. So now it's like a court session. And the reason why they did this is if he found that he lies to them, that they can excommunicate them, or even if he blasphemes God, he could be killed. So now the fear that they put upon him is so severe, they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. How do they know that? He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. One thing I know: once I was blind, but now I see. Isn't it wonderful if you stand up and you say to people, "Once I was blind, but now I see." Is that your testimony this morning? Friend, it is a privilege to sit here this morning. It's not all right. We were blind, as blind as we can be. But now we see, this man physically comes before them. He says, you work it out whether he's a sinner. You work it out whatever you want to work out. All I know is this, once I was blind, but now I see. What a wonderful testimony. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? You see, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He answered and said to him, I've already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You know, I don't get this. What's going on? You know, he's, he's, you know open up your ears. I said this before. Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, I love it. You know, he's becoming so sarcastic to them. He goes, I mean, wh- what's going on here? Do you want to become disciples? Let me teach you, the teachers. And it's fascinating, dear friends, that if Christ saves your soul, you know what happens? It doesn't matter whether they study 10 years or 20 years at universities. If Christ gives you His knowledge and His wisdom, they will stand ashamed. Look, at some pages in the Bible, they looked at these fishermen and they said, where did they learn? They speak with so much authority. Now this boy stands up. You know, he goes, what can happen worse to me? I was blind, but now I see. And then he takes them on, he goes, you know, do you want to also become now believers, or his disciples? Oh man, and that infuriated them. That threw the of monster pigeons, if you want to put it that way. Because they, they then reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Now they become so spiritual. Moses, who who is this guy? You are his disciple. Oh, but we are from Moses. Don't you get those people around churches these days? You walk into churches and you get these people sitting there with these powerful, you know, we are from Moses. Where are you from? And this is what happens here. I can see it playing out in my mind. This man coming in and as he keeps on talking, he's getting a lot more confidence. We know that God has spoke to Moses, "As for this fella, this man, we do not know where He is from, and how sad is that. How sad that they didn't even want to go and find out. I'm telling you today, friends, there are blind people in this world today. For them, Jesus is just a fella. The man answered and said to them, "Why, this is a marvelous thing." I love this. <laughs> How wonderful is this? And look, and, and the other thing about this man, you know, you couldn't say that he went to university. He sat there day after day begging. He sat there. I mean, if you look at qualification wise, they are right up there and he is way down here. And they are telling him about Moses and discipleship and everything. And they go, and, and he just, you know, he just clicked it common sense collected for this man he says oh this is marvelous so wonderful that you do not know where he's from yet he has opened up my eyes now we know that God does not hear sinners this comes from him we know that God does not hear and he talks the truth look and I want to talk to you today and to myself today you need to understand this That God does not hear sinners. There's only one prayer from a sinner that God hears. And that is, Father, please forgive me my sins and save my wretched soul. People come to me and they say, will you pray for my neighbor? And you know, they're going through difficult times. I say, yes, I'll pray for your neighbor that God save their souls. Not for them to come out of their difficult times. Because I'll tell you one thing, friend, if God saves you, He will use your difficult times to grow your faith. Come and, oh yeah, this man, you know, I've heard about this person who's working with me. Can you pray that, you know, they, their wedding, their marriage is splitting up? You know what I'm praying? I say, Father, save both souls. Because if you save both souls, you will bring the marriage back together. Not bring them back together and then two years later it's split up again. He does a perfect work. And this is what he's all about. God does not hear sinners, this man says. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he hears him. If there's just one thing you take out of today's message, it's those words there. He who knows God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he hears... Did you see there's two things there? There's two things there. Oh, you get people in church and they worship... Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And, you know, they worship and worship and worship. But they do not do the will of God. What does that help? It's great. Look, I love worshipers in church because it makes everybody sing loud. I love them. And we welcome them. You know why we welcome them? Because I want to preach the gospel to them. So that they become people who do the will of God. Who do what God wants you to do. God's not only looking for worshipers. He's looking for the ones who does His will. And He hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone opening the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing, nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin. Are you teaching us? Oh, yes, He is. I want to say, oh, you betcha. He's teaching you. He's giving it to you. Because look at this. From there, right down to there, he's giving it to them and he is absolutely, like they say, on the money. He's absolutely owning them. And all they could see is, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us. Why? They refer back to what the disciples asked. Who was sinning, his parents or him, that he was born blind? You see, they are still focused on the past, where he was sitting. He's standing in front of him in his sea they couldn't even see that because they were so blind. But let me just break down a little bit what the man said. Because he preaches and he talks to you and me today as well. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15 he says, When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. How graphic is that? He says, when you spread your hands up to heaven and you pray, Father, when you spread them... How you know, I look at photos of people with their hands in the air, and you go, "Oh, look at that devotion to God. But you know what God sees? He sees the heart. He says, although you stand there with your hands, spread it out, and the whole world goes, whoa, what a man of God. And He says, I will hide my eyes from you. Why would God say that? Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why would God say that? He says it because He sees your hands are full of blood. Sin, sin keeps his eyes and ears away from your prayers. Look, we have to teach the whole counsel of the Bible. I can't stand here this morning and lie to you and say, every Sunday school preacher is going to say, no, no, he looks at the content of the heart. Look at Psalm 66 verse 18. He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah 59 verse 1, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Who knows that? God has got a long arm and a long hand. He want to reach out to you. He want to reach where you are. But listen, it goes on. That he cannot save nor is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But what's the problem? The problem, Pharisees, the problem here, your establishment, the problem of 80% of the world today is this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your iniquities, your sins, your sins, your iniquities, the things against the will of God has separated you from your God. It's separated. It's severed you from your God. He wants to help. He wants to reach out. He wants to hear. He wants wants to answer your prayer but you know what it says it says that it's separated from your God and your sins have hidden from his face from you so that he will not hear so here you have a contrast you have a blind man who can see and you have an establishment of Pharisees who knows the Bible who cannot see On the one side you have a man who's been humbled by his circumstances, bowing down to God, although he hasn't seen Jesus yet. And here on the other side you have men with hands in the air and you've got everybody looking at them. But the contrast here is one can be heard and the other one not. Which part are you sitting in? And then... The audacity that they have to turn to this man and say, you were born in sin and you want to teach us? You know what that shows me? A hardened heart. One thing, dear friend, that you and I should never lose in our lives is to, be a, to have a teachable spirit. Jesus heard that they had cast him out because now they said, look, you're out of here. You're a sinner we excommunicate you Oh, over the years that I've heard preaching the gospel in spirit and truth that I've been cast out of the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit by speaking the truth I mean according to some people in this world I should have been Ichabod gone way you know leprosy go this man I can identify with him he's been kicked out If his parents were sitting in the synagogue worshipping, he wasn't even allowed to go with his parents. What should have been a fantastic testimony to the world to show them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is now becoming to the parents. I mean, can you imagine? They didn't want to see Him because they were so afraid of the establishment. But Jesus, when He heard this, that they cast him out. And when he had found him, oh, I love it. Jesus knows all about my struggles. We sang it this morning. And he knew about this man's struggle. And you know what he did? He went and found him. Friend, you don't come to Christ, he comes to you. You see. In verse one, he saw the man, and he went. While the others did their thing, he saw the man, and he went to him. And now the man is in a struggle. He's in a a painful situation. When he was blind, everybody was around him. His parents took some kind of care of him. I imagine he might have had somebody taking his arm, taking him to his place, sitting down to beg. Uh, You know, he, he was looked after in a way. Now that he's healed what happens excommunicated but jesus came and he found him how wonderful is it that our savior found us in our times of trouble in our times of need he said to him do you believe in the son of god and align it in your bible because there's four things that i've underlined do you believe in the son of god he answered and said who is he lord that I may believe in Him. And that's the cry of this world. The people are crying out, who is He? And you know whose task it is to go and tell them who He is? Yours? Yours, preacher, pastor, because that's why God... No, no, no. It's our task to go to the world and tell them who the Son of God is. This is the Son of God... The Son of Man is that link between heaven and earth. He asks him straightforward. he says, do you believe that? The reason why John writes down this gospel, if you look at John chapter 20 verse 30, he says, these things I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you will have eternal life. He says, man, you were made healed. That's wonderful, but that's not where it stops. You can see now physically, but can you see spiritually? He says, do you believe in the Son of God? That link between heaven and earth. The deity of Christ. And by believing, you will have eternal life. Listen, blind man who can now see. Once I was blind, but now I see. That was great news, but there's better news now. What is the better news? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have eternal life. And then he says who is he Lord that I may believe And Jesus said to him you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you how wonderful man I get so excited I need to just contain myself to think about these words isn't it amazing the miracle maker came back to him he says you have both seen him And it is he who is talking to you. Now you say, why do you get so excited about this? This is the reason why. Because friend, you and I can see him today and we can hear him today. Peter says, though we see him not, we love him. Hallelujah. That is a measure of faith the Bible talks about. The world laughs at you. They ridicule you. They go, what are you talking about? This Jesus who you can't see. Where is he? Where is he? Come on. And they ridicule you. And they make jokes of you. And you know what I say? Jesus said, now you see me and now you hear me. And ever since that day, I see him and I hear him. I see him and I hear him. Now, I'm not proclaiming to you that I get personal visits and by angels or by him. That's not what I'm saying. That's a lot of nonsense. And he says it to this man. And you know what? The Pharisees can have what they want to have. That is all I want. To see Him and to hear Him. How wonderful is the Word of God. Then he said, Lord, I believe and He worshiped Him. Now let's finish off with this last part. Verse 39. And Jesus said, "Uh, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Hello, duh. Hello, is this somebody home? You know, they didn't get it. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore, your sin remains. He's talking spiritually now. He says, those who do not see, I made them to see, and those who see, not to see. Friends, he's talking about a spiritual vision now. And this is why this whole miracle was taking place anyway. It's the physical, but then there's a spiritual message in there. My question to you is, are you blind this morning? Can you see? This man went through stages of seeing spiritually as well. He was spiritually blind and he was physically blind. Jesus healed him physically, but he also healed him spiritually. Let's have a quick look through that. In verse 10, I ask you to underline the word, a man called Jesus. It's the same as John chapter 4. You remember when he took the woman at the well and at each layer he broke down until he came to the point where she was saved? It's the same with this man. The Bible repeats itself. It's over and over again. And I love it when it's repeating itself. Why? Because, you know what, it just gets reconfirmed and reconfirmed with us. He called him Jesus, a man called Jesus. That's the first. But what happened? It went deeper. In verse verse 16, he was called a man of God. So it was Jesus, a man of God. Then he called him a prophet. Can you see how the stages happened? And then he's seen as the son of God. Friend, you and I go through these stages. When you are blind for the world, it's just a man called Jesus. I talk to a lot of people in the world. You mention the name Jesus, it's a man called Jesus. But some people recognize him, a man from God. Even the Muslims acknowledge him as a prophet. But that's not where it stops. It comes to the point where you acknowledge and see Him as the Son of God. That's when your spiritual eyes are open up and you can see. Once I was blind, but now I see. Let me end with a question. There's a lot of blind people in this world. I said, and it's an unconfirmed number. If I say 80%, that's just my perception. Let's say it is 60% of people are blind. We're talking about millions of people. Can you understand that while you are sitting here today, when you are going home and you have your nice lunch and you go and you have a siesta in the afternoon and you go tonight and you have dinner and you go and sleep, can you understand that in this time frame there are people going to eternity without Christ blind? Can you understand how privileged we are? But I don't even want to concentrate on our privilege. We are. I want to concentrate on the ones which is going to eternity without sight. They are blind. So how, friends, can you act more like Jesus this week? How can you act more and have a concern for those who are blind? How? Pray to the Lord and say, Lord, how? And who is affecting my life so that I can help? This week as you walk, can you walk like Jesus and see the blind? I don't want you now to go into all the alleyways and go and see for physical blind people and try. No, no. There's blind people walking around you, working with you. And then He comes to us and He says in John chapter 1, the light came into the world and the life, the eternal life was that light and He came and He lived amongst us. And Jesus on the, on the mount, when he, when he preached the Beatitudes, He says that you and I, we are the light. And what does it help to put a light under a basket or under the bed? We are the light that is shining into this world now. So when we look at the blind man, we see a miracle but we see blindness come to sight and a spiritual blindness come to sight. Let's pray.